uh, the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, we are uh, picking things up in Matthew uh, chapter 19 today. So let me give you a little bit of history. So back in September of 2016, we as a Westside campus began studying the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, how many of you were with us when we were studying Gospel? We were, you know, Westside, North Shore. Great. So all the sermons are online. We did 45 sermons in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, and now we're going to do another 45. But seriously, we're taking it now, beginning in Matthew 19 and all the way through the end of the summer. We're going to finish the Gospel of Matthew. We've been praying about this. Should we pick it back up? And we felt like, yes, we should. So we're gonna do that. Um, oh, I didn't bring it up with me, but we have these little Matthew books. Hopefully this doesn't make a noise in your ear. These uh, are Matthew journals. We'll have a bunch of these out there for you at the end of the gathering. You might've grabbed them on your way in, probably not. Um, but these were these journals that we made for this series. They're basically blank with a little bit of like who Westside is in the front. We're gonna hand these out again. I know, we, you know we're the short church and it says Westside on the back. But let's use them because, you know, we're, we're, let's just use them. Uh, so we're going to pick up this series uh, starting in Matthew 19. And in the providence of God, uh, we're, we're beginning, because we left off in 18, uh, we're beginning on Jesus' teaching on divorce and remarriage. Okay? Divorce and nothing like that switch. Like Easter, he's risen! Right? Jesus is true because he's changing people's lives. That's... He's alive to divorce and can I get remarried? So if you're like, that's a down switch, I'm glad I brought my friend again. Um, we can, you can pray for me. So, but this is one thing I love about uh, our, our community is that we love going through books of the Bible because you want to, I would never pick this topic. I mean, I should, but I wouldn't uh, unless we were going through books of the Bible. So that's what we're doing. We're going to start in Matthew 19. We're going to look at verses 1 to 12. Uh, but before we start, before you go there, before you even look at the verses, I actually would like for you to pray for me. So I'm going to ask for your prayer. But I also want to pray for you. And I want to say a few things before we pray. Um, first, if you've been divorced, been affected by divorce, maybe your parents were divorced, or you've had really close relatives or friends who are going through that or have gone through that, uh, you know it sucks. And um, it's very painful that you, that if you've been there, you know it's not like, oh yeah, now I'm out. It's a tearing of your soul. Uh, it literally is like an amputation. And so um, that's very painful. And I want you to know whether you're a victim of divorce or uh, maybe you look back and you have some regrets uh, in this. Uh, I want you to know I've been praying for you this week, like literally just on my knees. Because I know sermons like today will just till up some things. And uh, so just know as we start, no one looks down on you. You're not like a second class Christian or there's no unpardonable sin on this. This this group of men and women who call the Shore Church home, maybe this is your first Sunday, uh, are a safe place. So you need to know that you're totally loved by God. And more than that, God wants to use this in your life for healing in many ways and also to display the gospel. So just know that. Know that. Moreover, I believe the Holy Spirit, He will and He wants to heal marriages 
like this morning. I mean, like heal them, like do power. I believe that he wants to cast fresh vision. I believe he wants to drive you to him and his love for your covenant. And uh, you might be here thinking, crap, this is, I don't wanna be here for this. Um, I actually am, I'm actually done with my spouse and I just, I don't wanna be here. I don't wanna be here for another try hard um, sermon. And, and if that's you, that's why you're in here. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. So I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, please engage my deadening soul towards my spouse. I just want you to pray for that. Like you will need a miracle um, and ask him to bring his glorious grace into your grief. Some of you today might discover that your divorce was not biblical. Um, and you need to know he loves you and he wants you to trust him in what's next, but you need to pray, teach me in this because at some point you've hardened your heart or maybe you don't even know about it. Maybe this is your first Sunday and you're like, I've never really heard a sermon on divorce and remarriage. I've heard friends talk about it, but I haven't heard a sermon on it. And I want you to pray, teach me, because here's what I believe. If this is your home, this is your church, God wants to strengthen your convictions on marriage. Like if you're single in here, God wants to strengthen your convictions on what the Bible teaches about this because, sure, church, you are the ones who need to counsel others with what the Bible's gonna say this morning. Like the burden of what Jesus teaches today is not just on the pastor or your elder or your community group leader, it's on us. We're the church, we're the picture of marriage. And so we need to love what God's heart is for marriage. We need to protect and be passionate about the purposes of marriage. We need to know what to say biblically when our friend comes to us in so much agony and says, I owe it to myself to be happy and I'm just done with them. What do you say? Because true compassion has to take into account far more than what a person feels in that painful moment, very compassionately, but true compassion has to take into account what they will feel on judgment day. Like be that friend. And I wanna train us and equip us as the church to be those people. This sermon might be for someone else. That you go, I think the spirit wants me to send this to them. Okay. We're gonna pray, so we need to pray. Let me say one more thing. If you have spiritual gifts of words of wisdom or you see things for others like words of prophecy uh, or you have faith, if you have the gift of faith or mercy or whatever you feel during this gathering, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit as well. Will you manifest this gift through me and ask him to show you someone that you can pray for or if you have a word or a picture for someone that you can share that with because God might wanna do some healing and he might give you something for someone else. So you're gonna pray and then I'll pray and then we'll start.
Father, we want your, your compassion and your grace. We thank you that you have spoken into th- things that are hard, that you invented marriage the day you invented us. You have a purpose, a plan, a picture, a goodness for our lives in all of the stuff we're about to hear you speak into. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. I wanna pray against Satan, any kind of demonic spirits that are maybe present in this room. I ask that they wouldn't be and that they wouldn't speak. And I pray that you would give us a love for your word, a trust in your will. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd use the gift of, and the gifts you've given me to teach. I pray that you would manifest through me Help me teach the Bible. And uh, Father, I just I pray for those who are not excited about this morning. Would they feel like you're holding their hand? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I think it'd be helpful to hear the entire passage and then we'll look at it in two parts. Okay, so let's read the passage. Uh, Matthew 19, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and a large crowd followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if, if, if such is the case of man and his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Okay, so we're gonna look at two parts. God's posture and how it shapes our hearts. So God's posture, our hearts, and then uh, man's response So we'll see that in verses seven and on. Man's response, and then, what's the second one? Is it up here? We got it. I have it in my notes. God's answer. God's heart, our response. God's heart, our posture. Man's response, God's answer. Got it. Good. Let's start. First one. You're like, he's getting nervous. He's not. I just, I'm fine. (laughs) Just kidding. You can pray for me whenever you sense it. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a large crowd followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him asking, 
Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So our passage begins where, where, where Jesus is leaving Galilee for the first time. So he's been doing all his healing, all his ministry in Galilee. He's, he's heading out into the region of Judea. And you can see a large crowd's following him. He's doing what Jesus does and he's healing people. He's loving people. But the Pharisees, uh, they want to trap him. He's claiming to be from God. He's claiming to be the Messiah, he's claiming to forgive sin. They're frustrated. They're always trying to trap him. So if you read uh, in any of like any of the gospels, but especially in Matthew, the Pharisees are constantly trying to get him stoned, uh, beaten, in trouble with the crowds. And this is a hot topic. So they're like, this is gonna be perfect. Let's get him on this one of our day. Um, some suggest that he's, he's in the jurisdiction of Herod right now. Herod's been divorced. He actually divorced his wife to marry someone else who divorced their husband. And so he's like, maybe it'll stir. The Pharisees are like, maybe this will stir enough controversy. Uh, Herod will hear about it. And what happened to John the Baptist might happen to Jesus. So we don't know, but that could be why they're bringing this up to test him. So they asked the question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, for any reason, on any grounds. Does God allow? Is it permissible? Is it a sin is the question. Can I say uh, we're not in love anymore? My spouse you know, isn't a Christian or I wasn't a Christian when I was married. Uh, my wife doesn't meet my needs. I deserve better. My husband's lazy. Like if I knew what she was really like, I don't think I would have gotten into this. We were so young. You know, I felt this pressure. I think we made a mistake. Like we're no longer compatible. Like there's, Jesus, there's nothing left in our marriage. Like I would even call it a marriage. Like there's no point in trying anymore. I owe it to myself to be happy. Does God allow those reasons? Now, in order to better understand the first century context, uh, let me give you a, a, a quick background because it was very common in first century Judaism uh, for divorce. If anything, uh, it, was, it was kind of happening way too much. And this was the big debate of the day. The big debate of, today, of the day was not can you divorce, but on what grounds, okay? So there were two schools of thought at this point in Jesus's life in the first century. There was one Pharisee by the name of uh, Shammai and Hillel. And here, here's the thing, the debate centered on one verse. Okay, here's the verse, I'll show it to you. This is in the book of the law, Deuteronomy 24, verse one says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and it keeps going. Here's the controversy though. The controversy was what does it mean if he finds indecency in her? So the Shammai and the Pharisees that followed uh, his belief was basically more conservative. So they would say only on indecency in her would be sexual sin. You can only have a divorce based on, on sexual morality, but the halal, they extended it to any reason whatsoever. Like they were more of the liberal group of Pharisees. You can read about them in different writings, but, but they took this to mean any reason. So here's some direct quotes from the literature of their time, burning a meal, okay? That's burnt, divorce, like 
wait, listen to this one. Too much, these are direct quotes. Too much salt on the dinner. Okay, this, is, this, will, this will be your favorite one. Disliking her mother-in-law. Okay, everyone will be divorced. We all be like, mother-in-law, yeah. Uh, going, without, going out without a veil. So th- this was the controversy. And so they wanna hear what Jesus says. What do you say are the grounds for divorce? Maybe they heard a sermon on the Mount where, you've, where he's taught this before. We don't know, but they, they hone in at this point of his ministry. And they're like, what do you say, teacher? And look at verse four. And now read verse four very carefully. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Verse six, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus answers their question with a question. And that question drives them back in their Bibles past Deuteronomy all the way to the first day he made man. He drives their thinking, their mindset, and basically saying, you're asking the wrong question. He's trying to take their eyes off what grounds for divorce to what is the purpose of marriage? What's God's design and desire for your marriage? So he's, he's, he's pointing back to the one who invented it. By the way, just so you know, there has never been a society, even in the most remote places that didn't have marriage. It's intrinsic into humanity, which is why it has such an inherent grip on our hearts. But he says, God's heart is lifelong marriage. God's intention, this is what he's telling the Pharisees, is is for marriage to last a lifetime. God designed marriage to be one male, one female, covenantal, sexual, lifelong union, friendship as husband and wife, becoming one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So, So this is really key because this is what you're gonna be teaching your friend when they come to you and say, hey, I'm not happy anymore. Marriage is a joining. It's a divine sealing. It's a covenant. The Hebrew word for hold fast or the good old King James cleave means absolute unity. It means total union. It means economic union, social union, sexual union, personal union, emotional union, like the Trinity is one God who exists in three persons. The marriage family and covenant is to reflect God to humanity, to cleave to somebody is to say to them, I belong exclusively to you permanently and I'm gonna, everything I have is yours. And this is what you say in your vows, right? This is what, this is what we say. This is why the most important part of a wedding, when I do any kind of marriage uh, prep for it is your vows. Your vows are these. Why? Because here's what you're not doing in your vows. You're You're not promising present love. In your vows, you're promising future love. You're not saying, if I feel like things are gonna be fine, then I'm in. No, in your vows, you're saying, I promise to have feelings then. 
I promise to be faithful. I promise to be tender. I promise to be caring. It's covenant. So Malachi, speaking to uh, a man who's abandoned his wife and uh, says this, it'll be on the screen here. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? This is what Jesus is saying. Marriage is a sacred union. It's God's invention. It's the mingling of souls in marriage. Marriage was started by God and he created us because he knows us and he gave us a relationship that needs, because love needs a framework. Everyone would agree with that. Love needs a framework of binding obligation to make it fully what it should be. Right, like there's a staying power that produces character that says, I wanna see you grow. I wanna see the stuff that God wants to work on in my life out of here. Like, like, like a permanent creates this deep commitment. It's sacred, moreover, because the New Testament says it points us to Jesus and his, his covenant with the church. Just so you know, covenants are all throughout the Bible. It's how God works. But one of the covenants we find in the New Testament is salvation is a new covenant. Because Jesus in the New Testament is, is what? Our husband. And the church is the bride. It's a picture of marriage. Jesus stays on the cross to die for us because he stayed true to his vows. We weren't lovely. We weren't pursuing him when he died for us. It's a, it's a new covenant where God gives us everything Jesus has because Jesus said to the father, I do, to you. That's the picture of marriage. Let me give you a great verse. Ephesians 5.31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. There's gonna be no marriage in the new heavens and new earth because the picture will be complete. So the purpose of your marriage is not just mere happiness. It's to make you to the, kind of people that reflect the gospel. It's beautiful. So follow, follow what Jesus is doing here though. Okay, in, in the words of one, this will be on the screen. The Pharisees wanna talk about acceptable reasons for divorce. Jesus wants to talk about the sanctity of marriage. They wanna talk about when a marriage can be broken. He wants to talk about why marriage shouldn't be broken. If all you hear are the reasons a marriage covenant might be broken, it's like learning to fly by practicing your crash landings or training for battle by practicing your retreats. Whatever exceptions there might be, the main thing that marriage is, is supposed to be permanent. So here's the main thing Jesus wants to say about divorce. Don't do it. It's not God's intention for marriage. It's not what you promised before God in a room full of witnesses. Why? Because divorce is breaking the seal that God has engraven by his hand. Almighty God was there. He sealed it. It's not a contract of you know, uh, temporary convenience. In Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel, 
both preaching on this exact same moment in history have a verse added that Matthew doesn't. And scholars say the reason why um, they don't add it in Matthew is, is, is everyone would have known. Matthew's writing to a Jewish nation, but listen to what Jesus says in Mark. Same scenario, they're writing from, to different people, so they're gonna record different eyewitness accounts of this moment, but he says this in Mark. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay, so, so put this oneness, this, this covenant and Jesus' language of adultery together with me. Why is marrying someone else adultery? After a divorce, that's what he says. Here's why, he's reckoning the divorce should have not happened in the first place. So you take a husband or a wife where there's no biblical reason that they should be divorced. Maybe they just felt like you're not making me happy. You're not meeting my needs. For them to be married to someone else, which comes with sexual intimacy, it's like committing adultery. Jesus is saying you may be sleeping with someone who is inform your husband and wife, but you're but you're not sleeping with the person who should be your husband and wife. Divorce is like amputation. Short church, this is so serious that the disciples are like, if such is the case, a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. See, they grew up thinking around the halal, divorce was always an option. Even if they weren't intending on getting a divorce, it was comforting to have the option, but Jesus says to them, not everyone who can accept this word, but only to those whom it has been given. Some have been made eunuchs and some make themselves eunuchs. That is, if they cannot, this is for you singles, if they cannot enter marriage with a resolve to be faithful to the end, it's better not to marry at all. But we need to ask, like, is this your posture? Like no matter how hard the circumstance, when you move towards others, is your heart, is your counsel, like even in your own marriage, is it, man, God loves your marriage. Like he loves you. He was there that day. He joined you. Is this, is this your posture? Is your posture like he didn't make a mistake? You might've been too young in your own eyes, but not in his providential eyes. Like he didn't make a mistake. He knew you'd be a mess. He knew who you'd marry. And, and, and just, man, thank God marriage is not about our happiness, but it's just, it's about getting more of him. It's about displaying this covenant where you can just somehow in love go, look, I love what he's forming right now into you. He's showing you your self-centeredness and maybe God wants to grow your character, but he didn't make a mistake in this covenant. This thing matters. Do you talk like that? Is that your posture? Do you love the Bible? Do you know it's God's best for his people? Perhaps, sure, because you're the ones who are at the church. 
you have to be equipped for this. Perhaps the best way to biblically counsel someone who's looking for grounds or trying to get your support for a divorce is to do what Jesus does. Jesus with great love and great clarity leads their thinking to the framework and design and the purposes of biblical marriage. Bring them back to what does God desire for you? Say that sentence and you will see a face go hard. But if you don't say that, no one else will. For those of you who are married, this is really serious. Are you fighting for your marriage? Is it a priority? Like, are you going, whoa, like I just, I, I, I cannot coast like that. God wouldn't call you into something he couldn't help. Bring his power or leading in. If you can right now, I want you to look at your spouse right now and say, God joined me to you. Yeah, listen, some of you, um, you are so done. And you would say to me, James, you don't get it. It's, it's been so long, we're so over, it's so hard. There's a spiritual hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ for your marriage. There's a gospel big enough for that. I don't care if it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You can't have a spiritual resurrection in your relationship. And you, don't, you need to believe that. You need to say to him today, I believe that. And it might cost me a lot, but I believe it. I'm gonna pray for you. Holy Spirit, I just wanna pray that those two or three people who are angry with me would just hear your love for them. And I pray God that you would hold their hand even tighter. And I pray Holy Spirit in Jesus name that you would show them something this week of great profound hope. Because this is a miracle. I pray this in Jesus name, amen. Okay, so let's look at man's response and what is God's answer. Verse seven, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? So they're recognizing the permanence of view that Jesus has just set. And they're like, well, the Old Testament, what about, what about this? Okay, you go Genesis, let's go back to Deuteronomy. Listen to Jesus' answer. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses, what's our word? Where are we? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses, what's that word? Allowed. What's the word in the first verse? They said to him, why then did Moses, what? Command. This is, that's very interesting if you study the Greek in both of those. The, the mindset from the Pharisees was, this is a Command. If something happened, you must get divorced. You have to get divorced. 
And Jesus goes, no, that's never been God's will. So how do we understand this? Well, here's what we need to hear in this. Jesus' point is that while divorce is allowed in the Torah, it's not really God's heart for marriage and based on his created order and what marriage is meant to symbolize. But because of sinful hardness of heart, he allows it. It's permissible. So this is really key if you're in here. Is divorce, is divorce always rooted in sin? Yes. Is it always sinful to get a divorce? No. Jesus says there are conditions in which divorce is sometimes the only way to survive. He's not saying if this happens, you ought, but he's saying on one ground, you're allowed to. And what is that? Verse nine. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. One exception on the basis of adultery. When your spouse has committed adultery against you, you can be divorced and free to remarry. Here's how one writes, sexual sin breaks the marriage covenant because sex is the oath signing of the covenant. Having sexual experiences with someone other than your spouse is like trying to sign on someone else's dotted line. That breaks the covenant and is a ground for divorce. Divorce is still not required, but it's allowed. Jesus says one sin is so serious, it violates the one flesh principle that's underlining marriage that it gives the innocent party grounds to divorce. One of the best places to see this is actually the Christmas story where the Bible talks about Joseph, Jesus' adopted dad. The angel hasn't come to him yet. And we read in Matthew that like he finds out Mary's pregnant and he knows it's, it's not his because he knows how that works. And she's pregnant and it says that he was a righteous man. So he resolves to divorce her quietly. And it doesn't, was that sin? No. Did it reflect badly on Joseph? No. The question then becomes, well, what, what, what pastor, what consti constitutes as adultery? Well, the word is, is the word pornoneia. It's where we get our word pornography from. And it's, it's the New Testament's, you know, one, one way to think about it. It's like a junk drawer word for everything that includes your sexual organs and sexuality and lust and all that kind of thing and perversion. So you, you could ask me, well, what about, you know, they, don't, they didn't have the internet. Does, you know, does someone cheating online, does that count as adultery? Uh, is someone going to get a massage inappropriately? Is that adultery? Is that, you know, Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, you commit adultery. So it's like my husband's looking at someone on the beach, divorced, I'm done. This is it, got the certificate ready. So what is it? Uh, each case is so different. But here's the principle. Unrepentant, regular sexual activity without your spouse. And every case will be so hard 
And what needs to happen is that you bring this to Jesus and to your elders, the pastors of your church, and you say, this is what happened. And you pray and plead for God for repentance. You're praying for the gospel to enter into that situation, which is so heartbreaking. And it's very messy, but each case is going to be different. But this is, listen, this is so key. This is done under local leadership. You see that in many places like 1 Peter 5. This is not like your spin gals or your golf buddies. What do you guys think? I don't care. She sucks, she makes you unhappy, bro. No, it's you bring it to gospel authority. She did this, he did this. These are really heartbreaking. But any act of sexual unfaithfulness doesn't mean it ends your marriage. Jesus says it may, but forgiveness, reconciliation, and redemption and restoration are the heart of the gospel. And where else will marriage look so bright in that kind of forgiveness? But Jesus knows there's not always repentance, that men's hearts are evil, they harden their heart, which means they don't listen to God's word. They don't care what God says. And so the one who commits adultery is not free to remarry, but the one who sinned against can divorce and be remarried. There's one other place, and it's not the sermon for today, but there's one other grounds we believe that the Bible teaches for grounds for divorce. I'll show it to you. First Corinthians 7 says this. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. But if the unbelieving partner separates, deserts, abandons, Paul says, let it be so. In such case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Notice the posture is the same. God's design is the same, meaning like um, we, we should try to live at peace with you have an unbelieving spouse. You should not be like, I wanna get out now, but God's calling you like, he might, he might use you for them to come to Jesus. But he's, he says, if the unbeliever refuses to live with them, and there's a desertion of sorts, let him do so. You're not bound to be married when your unbelieving spouse deserts you. And then the question again is, well, what counts as desertion? And again, this is where the council with elders and pastors coming together. This can be all kinds of very abusive, painful, ongoing, unrepentant, whether it's from addictions to drugs and alcohol or all kinds of abuse. By the way, just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they are. You have a guy or a girl who's abandoned you and is living completely far from Christ for years and years and years. Goes to church on Easter. But notice God's heart. God's heart is that you should stay. You just don't know one day, maybe you're seven. 
They come to that Easter and the Holy Spirit goes. And there's so many questions. So if you wanna meet with us, we've we've prepped our pastors. They're gonna be up here. Uh, We're gonna make meetings if we need to make meetings. There's different questions you need to ask, like, like what about abuse and all that kind of thing. But these are the two biblical grounds. Divorce is permissible on two grounds, sexual morality and desertion. Okay, now what I'm about to say, you thought that was hard. What I'm about to say is really hard, but it's good and it's God's will and hard things in Jesus' hands produce great glory. When the divorce was not permissible, any subsequent marriage to someone other than your original spouse results in adultery. That's what Jesus says. To put it plainly, those who've wrongly divorced a spouse, they are not free to remarry, even if the law or the government would allow for remarriage. One one pastor, John MacArthur says, simply stated, when divorce is permitted, remarriage is permitted. Where divorce is forbidden, remarriage is forbidden. So what do I do with that? If you're in here and you're thinking, well, if I'm divorced and I already got remarried and it wasn't on those grounds, is the Bible saying I'm not really divorced in God's eyes and really remarried that every day I'm committing adultery? No, what it means is you shouldn't have been divorced. The covenant covenant hadn't been broken and it shouldn't have been severed. And if you are remarried, the Bible wants you to stay married. And you thank God for his grace. Listen, an unbiblical divorce cannot be the unforgivable sin. So look right at me, if this is you, Take communion today, trusting Christ came not only to forgive the stuff that I'm even working on this week, but he came and he forgave me for this too. You stay married to your new spouse. God loves that covenant. Love them in that new covenant. Rest in the righteousness of Jesus hidden in him for all sins, including this. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is a God of redemption. Jesus himself comes through a line of unbiblical divorce. David commits adultery with Bathsheba, murders her husband, repents, they stay married. And Jesus comes from that line. The Bible's God's redeeming of the worst situations. Jesus would say today, come to me. No one who ever comes to him is in any way ever cast out. I will say, if you are remarried in here, if you're thinking this, whew, man, I'm glad I did not know this five years ago. Like, That's not a great sign. Meaning this, if the spirit's at work, you will not think, I got away with this one. 
you won't think that. Instead, you will think, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I was blind to my own sin. I've hardened my heart. I have broken your law and made little of the gospel. Have, mer- have mercy, please forgive me. And my counsel for you, if that's you, is not only ask for Jesus' forgiveness, but you have it. You have it. But make things right with your ex-spouse if you haven't. With your kids, with your parents, your in-laws. If you're not remarried and your divorce was not legitimate, God's will, the Bible says, for you to stay single or get married to your original spouse. And again, please reach out to me. I know this is hard, but I wanna plead with you for one thing here. If you're here and you just wish you could get a divorce, you feel stuck, you feel helpless, you feel hopeless, it's not hopeless. Jesus rose again to bring spiritual life and reconciliation and the Holy Spirit can change hearts and lives. And if you're like James, you have no idea. She doesn't even take care of herself physically. I would have never married this person if I'd known I was getting myself into. I deserve so much better. Listen, let us pray for you. Like, let us just pray for you. Like, make this day a day that God's spirit just rushes into your heart. Like, tell him that, bring that to him. And husbands, don't be like your first parent, Adam, who stood by and did nothing because he was so passive. If you know you need prayer and you want God to work a miracle, call me. Come up here, get prayer, grab her hand, be the first. You gotta stop being a coward. You need to pick up some great books. I have them here. If you're in like the worst marriage and it's so stormy, read this book, husbands. If you're about to get married and you're, or you just, you're coasting in marriage, this book, pick it up, fight. Are you latching onto your spouse come hell or high water? Men, you've made a vow for better or worse. Today might be worse. This week might be worse. This year might be worse. But you don't let your heart drift to, you know what, this other person at my work, they, who don't really know you that well, they think I'm awesome. Wait till they know you. But don't, that's not the solution. You say, ladies, you say, I'm not gonna let my heart go there. Guard your heart. Work on the environments, work on your friendship. Don't accept the flirtiness, the lies from someone else, from your office or your... Repent. What if we took the gospel and we love the gospel? We sing the gospel. We love Jesus. We can't believe his mercy is more. We, we, we love to go, man, he accepts me, not based on me, but based on his love. God delights in me despite me. That's the truth. We, we go, man, I can't believe God delights in me, even knowing me. He came and he loves me. We can't get, we, ah, he, 
this is amazing. What if you took a hold of the gospel you love and you laid it upon your spouse? What if you loved her despite her? What if you forgave her, forgave him, engaged your spouse with the love and power of the gospel? That's what your marriage is meant to just, this is how Christ loves you. This is how Christ loves you. Every day in your marriage, I'm gonna forgive you again. You never change. I wanna work on it. 